Welcome to the Verbosity Podcast where we discover Jesus in our everyday lives. Join us on our journey as we share our stories and lives with you. And on to this week's episode. Welcome to the second episode of our mini-series on Jesus in the Modern World. My name is Renee and I will be facilitating the discussion tonight and once again joined by Randy, Ashley, and Keith. At the end of our bonus episode last week, we left you with the question, who would you rather be, Jesus or Lucifer, based on how each is portrayed in the media today? I'm not going to lie, I'm likely in the boat with a lot of you who would have picked Lucifer and thought, why not him, the version of him, obviously in the show, that fights for justice and the misunderstood. For folks that don't know what I'm talking about, stop listening and go back and listen to the last episode. I promise it's a good one. So I want to be like Jesus, but maybe not the cross dying for everyone part. <laughs> Today we're going to look at Jesus and the modern church. In order to dig into th- this topic, I'm going to be referencing three distinctions throughout tonight's podcast. The first is Christianity in reference to the faith. The second is Christians in reference to the believers of the faith. And the third is Christendom in reference to the collective culture and institutions of the faith. So the big question of the night is, is the Christendom of today's churches threatening to eliminate genuine Christianity? I found an article online and because we all know everything you find online is true, it's linked in the description of tonight's podcast. We're going to discuss and talk about it today. It states that the doctrine, structure, and step-by-step almost playbook of the modern-day Christendom is the greatest danger facing genuine Christianity. In many ways, it was far better to see Christendom shrunk down to a few genuine believers than to see it ballooned and enforced into a parody of itself. The author states that these things were designed to make the way to Christianity easier, when in fact, to be genuinely faithful always makes the way harder. By this, he means that the legality, doctrine, and structure in many churches today is meant to make the path of the Christian easier, even make it easier to come to Christ. However, an essential part of Christian life is self-reflection. As the author says, finding oneself confronted by Christ and beckoned to follow. The imitation of Christ is really the point at which it becomes too hard for most people, and the stronger the emphasis is made on this point, the fewer the Christians. If, on the other hand, there is a scaling down of this point on the imitation of Christ, so that Christianity just becomes intellectually a doctrine, then Christianity may well grow. But regardless of the numbers, the more the imitation of Christ is lost, the more the actual faith is diminished. Christ as revealed in the Gospels show that following this Christ always leads you into opposition against the prevailing culture, and as a result, the inevitability of suffering and persecution. So back to our ending question of last week's episode, how many of us chose Lucifer? How many of us would imitate Jesus all the way to the cross? Or does Christendom today make it easy for us to blend in without going all the way? So our big question of the night is, is Christendom a threat to genuine Christianity? Yes, I, I, I think it is. And I think it, um, it always has been. And, and dare I even say that it always will be. There will always be um, a portion of organized Christianity that wants to make uh, Jesus popular, wants to make following him um, look like more fun than it is pain. Um, And there will always be a part of Christianity that will use the tools of the day to promote Christ rather than the power of the spirit and and Christ-like living. So I think the answer is yes. And I think even during Jesus' day, we're talking about modern day Christendom. But I think even in Jesus' day, um, people followed him for a while and, and it was really exciting. And then remember that 
the crowds thinned out as soon as Jesus' teaching in their minds got too hard for them, which meant that they were going to have to give up things and and follow Jesus' way of life and of loving people above themselves, um, again, as a way of life. So that's how I would answer that question. Yeah, I think for me, it's also a yes. Um, I think, as you described it, Ren, the genuine Christ- Christianity part, one that I really find value in is denying ourselves and following or denying ourselves and, 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 and taking up a cross. Um, and I think, especially in a generation like ours today, where I think a lot of, a lot of things that are in our culture is pointing towards that. It doesn't really matter what you believe in. It doesn't really matter, you know, what you value, as long as you think it's right, then that's fine. Nobody else can say anything wrong about that. Um, and I do see that, as a way our, our church in general, um, our Christendom, um, as it's trying to find relevance within culture, which I think it has tried to do for, for since, since, the, since, uh, since for many centuries, um, you know, I can really see a danger in there where it, it, for lack of a term, it dilutes what it means, for example, to deny yourself and to, and to follow Christ. And to take up his cross, uh, take up your cross. Like I, I, I think, I think, just for example, not necessarily speaking on that could really, could really make it seem as if um, imitating Jesus all the way to the cross, as you say, it is really not that far. Um, and so, and 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 so, yeah, I, 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 I do think as the church kind of feels to gain relevance in our culture, there is a really strong danger to 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 shy away from talking about um denying yourself to 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 really in in every single aspect of our lives um to follow christ and imitate him all the way um oh uh this is a a hard question for me because i i in some aspects i want to say yes that it is a threat to Christianity, you know, what kind of Randy and Keith shared. But at the same time, I think it's still important. Like, we're not saying that doctrine is not important. You know what I mean? Like, there are mm. certain things that are still required. Because um, if you didn't believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins and that he raised he was raised to life again then you know that there still needs to be a foundation a doctrine there um and so i i think there's more to this question than just a yes or no um can i i would say that there is definitely a danger when it becomes too legalistic um, and we're just trying to check off check boxes to say, oh, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Therefore, I am a Christian or therefore I am a good Christian or however you want to define it. Um, but at the same time, you can't say, well, I'm just a Christian, um, but I don't believe in these things. Um, I think as, as humans, we still need to have clarification around certain things because when jesus taught he didn't teach on every single detail right which is i'm not saying that's a problem i'm just saying that that's why later on we people also argued back in those times and why paul had so many letters and why our new testament is not just the four gospels um so i think there is still value in when we are seeking and when we share what we've learned um and we have community with other christians but um i do agree that legality can can be a stumbling block and can be a threat to to genuine christianity yeah so i i do want to recognize like um that the structures and the doctrine and these things were put into place with good intention um over over history since Jesus started um, the church and since Jesus came and Paul kind of added a different layer on his letters and 
to the church. Um, and since then, churches have like layered on different levels of doctrine or more like organizational things. So I do think they were put in place to protect Jesus's people and in a way to make it very clear for new believers, um, kind of like what the Bible states in maybe like simpler terms. Um, so I do think the intentions were there. Yeah, where the threat, as I see it, comes in is when it becomes that checklist, when, um, when it's too easy, like when it outlines day by day, step by step, what Christians should be doing. And then we kind of lose focus of what Soren says here is the genuine Christianity part to imitate Christ and all that we do. Um, so I guess Soren's fear was that Christ Christendom, as Christendom waxes, Christianity wanes. So many people choose doctrine, few people choose the cross. For who would really choose the cross when their ministry does such good, when it reaches so many people and when it's so very important to the soul of a nation? So Jesus himself says, if anyone would come to me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then Paul follows and says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me or elsewhere in Romans. If we have been united with him in death, like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So our second kind of big question for the night is, are there instances where we have chosen not to die with Christ as a church, but save the institution at the sacrifice of choosing the cross? So in our positions within the church, have we seen instances or in the global church where we have chosen not to die with Christ in order to save the institution? Just to clarify, are you talking about church, like the capital church or? <laughs> Either or. You don't have to be too specific, okay. but um, for example, when making leadership decisions or hiring decisions within the church, do we choose the more reputable or clean route or candidate versus a candidate that has truly walked down a path marked with sin, repentance, forgiveness, and redemption. So like, can you see both sides of why you might lean towards the cleaner, you know, cleaner resume, very like put together candidate versus a candidate who has truly experienced everything that the gospel has um, preached? or is it's easy to point fingers and i i think that mm -hmm. um we can look at uh certain nations where the church has become very political and i would say actually you know the church in rome ultimately became uh very political some would say um you know looking into the united states and and, you know, if you're a, a real Christian, you'll be a Republican and not a Democrat and so on and <laughs> so forth, which which is just politics, which is not based on doctrine. It's based on some very strong views. Now, the other thing that sometimes is behind those kinds of decisions, uh, un unfortunately, is is power and money. And I, I think there have been times where the church has succumbed to power and money. Um, for the sake of its existence, um, the power of man and, um, and resources, as opposed to taking a stand on certain issues and, and even refusing what we talked about, uh, what we have talked about before, the whole refusing to get involved in the whole political world um, by means of, um, you know, to, we, we try to get in the political world to, to make decisions in, in what's happening instead of just deciding that we're going to be light, we're going to be salt, we're going to walk with Jesus and love people um, and make a difference in their lives and give reason for our, our faith in Christ. So 
Yeah, I think I think there have been times like I, I just use those two examples. Um, but I think there are examples all over the world where the church has succumbed to government or to politics um, or to it, it, if, if you were to be honest in a lot of churches, um, there are some churches that will be tiptoe around certain issues because it might offend some of the large givers in a church. And, right. um, you know, that, that can really be a negative to what, to what our Lord has called us to. Yeah. Yeah. Another example I can kind of think of and, 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 and hopefully it doesn't kind of rabbit hole myself, but I think just a notion even that that there may be communities out there or churches out there that, um, for example, when you talk about the goodness of God and or the goodness, I guess, or the benefits of following Christ, um, I think Paul writes that if we follow him, you know, we should expect persecution. Um, not that like, I, I personally don't think that necessarily, we necessarily invite it, but I, I should expect that of my faith. Um, that, that difference, I guess, in, in, whether or not that's diluting or hiding certain aspects of the gospel or certain aspects of our faith. I think in itself, I think it's not, it's, it's an, it's a, it's a sacrifice of choosing the cross. Uh, it's we're, we're not, we're not necessarily portraying what really it is to imitate him, you know, and, and we're portraying something that is a glass half full um, and, and a, a, I guess a picture, like, I, I think as churches, right, like, we, we have a lot of people who may come who have no notion of the faith, and they are genuinely, um, they are genuinely looking out to grow in the faith, or to at least know the faith, and if we're giving them, not we as a church, but we, like, if, if, if they're attending a place where it gives them, you know, half of what really it is to follow Christ, um, yeah, to me, that's, that's a, uh, that's a very difficult way of, of knowing whether or not uh, we're, we're really imitating him. One question I had kind of maybe a bit of food for thought is how much of, how much of these are really just um, these questions coming out because of the fact that we live in North America slash a um, what people would call a first world country, um, that because we have these uh, comforts mm. um, where Christianity is the majority, well, or at some point in time in our countries was a majority belief, and there's a safety in that um, religion or belief system. Because um, I, I look at and I think about the things that we've been discussing and I think about the persecuted church, I feel like they understand a lot more of what it means to deny themselves and, mm -hmm. um, and take up their cross imitating Christ. Cause when they chose Christ, that's exactly what they had to do. Right. Um, and so part of me I mean, for us, it's going to be harder to answer that because I would say most of us aren't exactly part of a persecuted church, nor do we live in a country where Christianity is um, outlawed, illegal, and can lead to our death. Um, but I think these questions are relevant if Jesus was doing ministry here in North America. Um, if we were to bring these questions a little closer to home, um, I think, I think in our church, in, in our history, even we have had instances where we chose to save the institution instead of, instead of following scripture um, and I think what we have to realize is that church is not a perfect place, whether local or big C, right? Like we're made out of 
we're made of broken people. Very good point. Um, and sinners. Very good point. And we're not meant to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always really like the, um, the illustration that the church should look more like a hospital. Right. The, I think the question that it should bring up is, if we made the wrong choice of saving the institution instead of following the cross, how do we go about it differently next time? And how do we, what should we do? I think sometimes that's where institutions and doctrines can be very valuable. Hmm. Um, when we When we reflect, hey, we didn't do so well last time. Mm-hmm. Let's implement some things to make sure we do better. Like what? Um, so we didn't always have, let's say, plan to protect with our children's ministry. Right. And uh, at some point, I don't even, I don't even remember. But anyway, um, we implemented those strategies so that our um, children's ministry workers would have more training and be... Um, be able to be alert, um, you know, and be able to say, okay, well, to be not, not necessarily more repeatable. I can't, I can't think of the right term, but basically we want to avoid certain situations so that we don't end up people accusing us of doing things with kids, um, Mm -hmm. because we're always within sight or there's always two or more adults. Right. Um, and we can more readily look for signs of child abuse and be equipped if that were to happen um and just better equipping that's a good example people yeah right yeah good example i um i just wish it didn't have to go that way like i i wish instead of layering on more levels of (laughs) in the startup world what we would call red tape to make sure that folks kind of like stay in line that we would move to, I, I know this is very like idealistic, but I wish we could just move towards first principles of things in decision-making. Like when you look at faith, when you look at genuine Christianity, very church-like answer, what would Jesus do? Like, I just, I wish that as leaders in a church or as a congregation, we could put more of a focus on the very basic, how would Jesus love his people? What is the most, um, like what, what did he do or what did he say that can help us make this decision on how to react to certain circumstances or prepare people for certain things um, versus layering on policies and practices? Because I think, I actually think that's where we may get lost because people may just follow the plan to protect rules and say, for example, let's leave the door open when I'm in a room one-on-one child. But yeah. let's say the circumstances that there's a circus outside and there's like elephants walking around and your kid is having like a breakdown. Like, why can't I close the door? But I, I get why I have to leave the door open. But I, I just wish that as individuals within a church, we could just move towards the first principles way of decision-making versus following rules. Mm-hmm. But I know it's yeah. like incredibly idealistic. Yeah, I, I, I kind of tend to agree with Ren. I, I do also preface by saying, I think it's also very idealistic me to think this, but it's like, the notion is, is that I feel it becomes different, or I guess, even though it might look the same on the outside, but it's like when we as a church get more governance involved or have more policies to cover for things of the matter of the heart. So I think for like, I'm not saying this happening in church, but for example, like if we wanted to be like, well, in order to look for a pastor, we need like more different, a, a, a third group of people to like independently like assess somebody. Um, well, I think again, very idealistic me to think this, but like my hope is that, well, why not just one group of people of leaders to look at and judge it in terms of like 
how this person is um, in terms of his heart, in terms of where he stands, in terms of where he see God works works in this. So I I I, I think I think doc, policies, doctrines, obviously, like we don't want. I, I I think it'd be kind of weird to have a church that doesn't have any doctrines or any policies or anything, I guess, structured. But at the same time, I think I think for for us to to find that line between judging um, what is of the heart in a way that is not really into like governance or like policy or like huge, like, yeah. I, you know, I know you guys are um, (laughs) saying that this is all idealistic, but I think that those are also required. And I do agree Mm -hmm. that it's not necessarily always helpful um, when we pile things on. Because I think what's actually more important is knowing and understanding the original intent of why things were done. Um, And so, for example, like for our constitution, a lot of things are written generally Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, things need to be written down. But when it comes down to very specifics, I think that's where we get into the territory of, okay, let's, what, it, what was the specific situation? Cause you can't write down the rules for every specific situation, right? They should be more like general guidelines and overarching rules, sort of like intent of the law versus like, this is what you must do, which we, I think we kind of touched on that. Yeah. Most of us don't agree that it should always be, this is how you walk. This is how you talk. This is how you do this. <laughs> yeah, totally. So like we kind of touched on it later, but an interesting thing is um, like if we were to, Jesus were to start a church or whatnot, uh, if we were to start a new local church, it's like writing policy and guidelines in a way to guide rather than to dictate or to, and making sure to include the intent in the document itself. Like, I think, for example, if you were to read our church constitution, you don't see the reasoning for a lot of the, you don't see the why for a lot of the you must do's or the rules. And it makes it super hard for a third party to come in and just read and understand um, and therefore follow without looking at it as something that actually hinders the productivity of actually like sharing the gospel or imitating Christ. so yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. I think the other thing is is to remember that we're all still on a journey to um, become and be molded to be more Christ-like. We never get there in this life. And I think that's where it's very difficult, right? Like there's a lot of things that we know we should do or we know we shouldn't do but we can't always make the right decision unfortunately um and i think that's where it's hard but that's also why it's so important to have a community for people to correct us for people to be accountable to us and why it's important for us to recognize that we're not perfect and we still need to listen to those around us um, because they're gonna see things more clearly than when we're in the midst of our own trials do you guys think i'm just kind of thinking aloud do you guys think that imitating christ as individuals looks different than imitating christ as our church It, it, it shouldn't be <laughs> like, like I think the way that I treat my neighbor um, should be the way the church treats its community. I, I think that, you know, um, it's, it's like a family is made up of its members. And if you said of a family, they're really a caring family. It's because of the individuals in the family that are caring. And, and, and so that's kind of what I, how I would look at it. It's like, that's why it is important, you know, 
the whole body concept that each of us has a, a role to play and each of us is very um, influential um, in, in our own worlds um, outside of the church, if you would. And I would say that, for instance, if somebody knew somebody in their workplace who went to Southie Free and they were very loving and caring people, and then they came to our church, the hope would be they would experience the exact same environment as what they experienced through that person at work. That's, that's, mm. that's the goal. That's, you know, what your hope is. So I, I kind of think that how I live um, would be, you know, a reflection of what Southie Free is like, which is kind of scary. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> let's face it, there are times when maybe we're we're not. But but then 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 again, I would say that if if we're being real, say in the workplace and we offend somebody and we know it's our fault um, to humble ourselves and to go before that person and say, I'm really sorry for what I said or I overstepped my boundaries and I'm sorry for doing that in a very genuine and authentic way. Um, that then they would realize that, you know, hopefully that they were, if they were to attend our church, it's not a perfect place. People do mess up, but there is a sense of when I'm wrong, I'm not going to, you know, become all prideful and point finger and say, but you, but I will say I, I've done wrong and I'm really sorry for what I've done. And, and I think that kind of a community is very inviting into people, especially um, to people who've never experienced that kind of an environment, whether it be in their workplace or within the context of their family or their group of friends or whatever the case would be. So that's a long answer to say, I, I think the two should be very similar. Um, I have not in, been in too many leadership positions within the church, but the one difference I could kind of see is that as a leader at, in a church, you respect responsible for a lot of people so I guess this is maybe geared towards you guys and girls um, who are more experienced with leadership within the church um, what does it look like for example like a decision that I personally as a single person who's not responsible for any for too many people I I think I don't have to weigh the outcome for a group versus an individual. So I think a lot of these like hard questions come from the fact like of, do you help the masses? Do you help the institution so that it can con continue to help others at the sacrifice of one? I guess that's a decision that I would think that as a church you have to make sometimes, but as an individual, maybe not as much. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're right there. But then I also think like if we if we talk about like between as as a leader, yeah, I I, I think the intent is obviously you want to take into consideration how it affects like for example, Pastor Randy, that it affects like our congregation because you're you are our <laughs> shepherd. Um, but I don't know. Like I I feel like how can you like in the most perfect world, I feel like if between what your, your community would feel like it's safer or better, or as opposed to what Christ is leading you to say, if those two are extremes, if those two are two completely different outcomes, and I know it's a lot harder than I, I, I'm saying it is, like, don't you have to choose what Christ is leading you? I, I'm not sure I'm following you, Keith. Okay, sorry, cut that out. No rephrase. No, no, I know. <laughs> yeah, re just, re just re yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just say it. Try. I know, I know. I just, I just thought about this. Like, I, I didn't really know what a way to think about. It. But like, our, our, our question here is that it's like, you know, as, as a church, or at least as the body, are we sacrificing imitating like Christ? Are we sacrificing following Him to save the institution? Um. Like my, my hope is that we don't, we don't have many of those decisions where it's one or the other. But when it is one or the other, isn't it pretty straightforward, the answer? It is um, the 
so okay i so this is i was gonna jump in because when ren talked kind of brought up the question i thought about matthew so in matthew 18 verses 15 to 17 this is what it says and and i'll read it if your brother or sister sins go and point out their fault just between the two of you if they listen to you you have won them over but if they will not listen take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses if they still refuse to listen tell it to the church and if they refuse to listen even to the church treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector um and now the thing is is i have not been on a leadership team when decisions of protecting the institution versus an individual um when those decisions have been made in the past so i don't know how some of those um decisions were made um but i think you're right keith in that scripture is quite clear how we should deal with um these situations sometimes but um randy you probably have more experience in that being that you've been a pastor for so long um but how do i guess different churches that you've seen weigh these decisions well yeah and it's a really it's it's that's where it gets really really difficult um and and i'll say that really comes becomes difficult because sometimes um you make it easy for people, like you say, or like we talked about earlier, what, what Ren said, like at the very beginning, um, the idea that we make it so easy for people to come into the church and to participate and whatever. And it's, it's, I, I don't like that to say that we should make it hard, but we should make it clear what it means to be a follower of Christ. And within the context of the body of Christ, there is a sense of, um, for lack of a better term, accountability or, or responsibility towards one another in Christ. And, you, you know, I, I've, I've been involved in some of these and it's been ugly. It has not turned out how I wish it would have, because when you go to someone who is obviously made a decision that is clearly against the scriptures, and um, you you are forced to uh, make a decision to um, because of their you know they're not going to change that they are going to continue this lifestyle, but they want to remain a part of the church. It, then it's really hard to say, well, we're going to what we would say withdraw you know your membership. You will no longer be a member of this church. Uh, that is the ugliest and hardest thing ever. Yeah, because. Mm-hmm. Honestly, you feel like, wow, what right do I have to make this judgment <laughs> on another person? Yeah. And yet, in the scriptures, there is this calling that when someone has has clearly gone, we're not talking about a gray area. We're talking about somebody that has clearly gone against the teaching of Christ in an unrepentant way, and they're going to continue this lifestyle, that, that then we're going to say, you know, that then we have to, we have, I mean, that's, it's just ugly. There's no other way to put it. And because of that, what I'm trying, just trying to explain to you over the years, the church has just chosen not to do it. Well, <laughs> and, and, you know, and that, that can, that can create a lot of problems down the road. And because then, then, then issues like that um, are not dealt with. Like they're just swept under the but what rug. Do you That's guys, right. Okay, what yeah, does it actually just, mean no. to treat them like a pagan or a tax collector? If they choose? Well, that's like, a good question. Let's that's say you really take away membership. Like, don't aren't we yeah. still called to love and teach and guide the pagans and tax collectors? 
Absolutely. Like I, I'm not gonna lie. But- I uh, <laughs> like my my dad was excommunicated from this church, and I was um, okay. I was angry at the church for a while before yeah. I could fully understand it, um, because all I understood was like he's not allowed to come back. Um, but okay. aren't we called right. to love? and to teach and to guide the tax collectors like you know the famous parable right. of right that but i guess it's also like an attitude thing on their part so yeah like what does it mean to treat them like a pagan or a tax collector that that's a really good question and i like i mean with this person specifically that i'm thinking of we we never said you can't come to church, you can't participate. And, you know, we never said that. We just, part of one of the requirements and and there's maybe, you know, the whole membership thing in, in my mind is one of those things that that the church has added, right? To the church and to, to the scriptures where we would say you have to become an official member. And that means that mm-hmm. you go for an interview that means that you know what i mean you need to know doctrine you go through classes and the church has added that whereas i i my personal view on that is that when you when you become a follower of jesus you are a member of his church and yes large c but even small c so for instance i don't think that if, if someone has, you know, has, has um, say someone has offended me and they have clearly gone against the way of scripture, say they stole from me. I mean, I believe that I need to go and talk to them and follow through Matthew 18, whether they're an official member or not. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. they're, they're a brother and they're a sister in Christ. And that's how I am to go about it. And, and to deal with them and then if they refuse and said well i stole from you but too bad for you well then i i guess you know the real issue is and and you bring in a good point ren that i'm still i'm not going to withhold my love and my care and if they need help my help from them um i, I just think there is a sense where there's obviously uh, a clear they 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 have drawn a clear line like like you know people say well the church has obviously made the decision to draw a clear line but i would say well that person has made a a clear decision that is against jesus teaching um you know so therefore they they they've drawn the line we've just pointed it out so to speak but i don't think i don't like the word excommunicate i mean kind of that idea that we kick them out of the church it's like I say, in my experience of coming up to 40 years, it's it's one of the toughest things to do. But if we don't do it, that can create deeper problems down the road for the church. Like, Big C and I just wish church. that well, this also may be idealistic, but I wish that as a church, if we were called to act and treat one another as we are called to as individuals to our neighbors, like we can treat each other like Christ treats us. And like, who's to, who's going to say that they didn't need a couple pushes here and there to be turned, like a couple chances here and there to turn in their ways or to turn in their attitude. Um, has it only been a couple <laughs> for you, man? For me, it's like, I don't think anyone <laughs> has said that they only needed like one chance or like one push and Yes, yeah. some of us are more stubborn than others. Yeah. But if you okay. like yeah. I just I wish that the church could be an example in their decision making kind of like okay. to treat yeah. others in that way as well as we're called. You know you know where I yeah, you know where I really think um it's funny that we're talking about this and I'm going to use this as as a springboard into something I'm on study leave right now. And one thing's one I'm I'm on study leave, and one thing that I'm building is a mentorship model. And I, I believe that um, 
the church has been strong on teaching doctrine and even Christian practice, but really weak when it has come to mentoring mm. and understanding, you know, that mentoring is not just meeting together for an hour a week <laughs> and, and teaching and learning, but mentoring is where um, I'm saying it's either a one-on-one -on -one situation or a pod situation uh, where there are a maximum of four people in a small group. It works best definitely with one-on-one -on -one where, um, you know, where there is a life being poured into the other one and ultimately a good mentoring relationship works two ways because as a mentor you always learn a lot from the person who's being mentored as well they always have uh, something they add um, in regard to value to your life so I that's something I'm really working on and something that I'm going to really encourage this fall for us as a church not that just I, I mean I think it's it's good but I think some people have never had the opportunity to be mentored yes they've maybe gone 10 weeks through a membership class or baptism class or whatever, but being taught and being mentored are, are, are to me, um, not two different things, but, but mentoring is needed in order to bring, bring, put teaching in the flesh. No, I think that's a great idea. Um, so I have another like deep example here. Um, of kind of like similar to what we've been talking about, um, saving the institution versus practicing genuine Christianity. Um, so as we see like church abuse scandals unfold, especially in America, churches choose to save the institution rather than the person by following this godless playbook of secular corporate self-defense. So they view the truth coming out as a threat. So if people really knew what happened, like what happened in one of our ministries or fellowships, they might not support the ministry or listen to its teaching and therefore good work would cease and therefore we should seek silence. So this is one of the instances where you could potentially sacrifice an individual for the sake of the let's say greater good of the church. Like if word were to come out, it could cause people to potentially leave the church or be hurt and doubt teaching, etc. cetera. Um, so what are yeah. your thoughts on this approach to seek silence in a scandal? So I, I kind of have a question and it's almost a little bit like clarification. Because um, in when I was reading Matthew 18 here, verse 17, it says, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, right? Um, and then obviously there's more after that. And if they refuse to listen to the church, then treat them as you would the pagan tax, tax or tax collector that we kind of were, were talking about. But my question then is, is what does it mean to tell it to the church? Because really is it tell it to church leadership and only pastors are privy to what's happening or is it actually tell it to the church congregation and say this is what's been happening um or does it depend on your denomination because the governing structures are different at like in the modern day um because i think we've in southie free history have seen it happen where it's like okay things kind of get told to the congregation but not really um and things are just kind of uh sort of told and nobody like unless you're really involved you don't really know what's happening if you're general congregation member so my question then is is what does it mean to tell it to the church which is kind of related to Ren's question to, to answer yours, Ashley, I think it really depends on the situation. Like, I'll give two examples. If let's just say my brother that I cared so much about is suffering from pornography, <laughs> I get a towel GMM, for example. <laughs> like, 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 to me, that would mean that, like, to, to me, the church aspect in here would be to say, hey, let me get people who care about him a lot 
people who, for lack of a better term, I think like other brothers who hopefully can share their side of the story in similar aspects or similar struggles that they had before or something, or just even someone who can speak truth into his life. But I, 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 think, I think that's different than, for example, if my brother who I cared about is, for lack of a better term, stealing from the church. Now that I would think is, is that, that the aspect of church in there looks a bit different. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I don't think it's a one size fit all, but what but, but, but I think for us, like I'm assuming we're talking about us and the person that has brought it forward to the other party about, okay, whatever, your behavior isn't good or like this is concerning or you're not in line with, with scripture and these things. I, it really depends. I, I, I think for me, one rule of thumb that I can really see is like, if I was involved in a situation like that and I need to bring more people, like how do I contain it so that obviously I'm not fluttering and flirting with the idea of publicizing it for just sick of publicizing it as opposed to getting more people to join in because I need to, it, the severity of what is going through in sin right now needs to be, you know, needs to be kind Honestly, of shared. Honestly, I think um, it is similar to what Keith said, like for people who support this person to be able to come forward yeah. and um, support them in this way. But I also think it's a way to avoid having them leave the community in, in its entirety. Like mm -hmm. I, I want to keep the analogy going of how an individual would treat another to how a church would treat an individual. Um, I think, for example, the instance of like, let's say if Keith's brother is stealing from people and it could potentially harm like the church or whatnot to mm -hmm. let them know that this is going on like that the church doesn't agree with it. Um, but keeping the person there, if they choose to stay and they're given that choice and it really opens up an opportunity for the church to grow together. I think similarly to how um, trials make us as individuals stronger in our faith. I think if a church were to yeah. make or bring more light into things, A, for the sake of protecting others in the congregation, or B, let's say this person chooses to stay, but, um, and there's people here who care for them deeply, and a lot of them, they can reach out their hand in support. I think, yes, it might be messier than it is better in the short term, but in the long term, it really opens up potential for the congregation to grow in faith together and see what it looks like to get past it to guide someone to repentance no matter how long that takes and to support them in that way i think that would be like yeah. a learning opportunity for the church and it's a way that like you wouldn't have to like kick someone out let's say i i i i think there's a lot of that that's a very full statement um to me that you were making Ren. Um, and, and I think that it is, there's, there's, there's two things God, going back to what he said, he said, assume a brother is struggling in pornography. Um, there's the key word is struggling. I, I don't, I don't see Matthew 18 talking about somebody who is struggling with somebody or something. Um, mm. What I see Matthew 18 being as a person who is has done something and is unrepentant in what what they have done, and they're causing harm to the church, really by um, dishonoring the name of Christ because of their their attitude, as much as as, as that that goes in hand with their actions. So I, I think, you know, and and here's 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 a sense that that again I'm coming back to this whole mentoring thing, like we sometimes you know, say you shouldn't have done that or look, man, they are really, we use for, for years, the term has been backslidden or backsliding. And now it's just, you know, they're, they're wavering or they're struggling in their faith or whatever. And I, I just think, you know, have we as a church not done a proper job of walking with people of, of letting yeah. people who are not people who have been Christians a long time necessarily, and not even people um, that are really good with the Bible. That doesn't, to me, 
um, naturally um, determine what a strong Christian is. A strong Christian is someone who follows Jesus and is filled with, with the love of Christ. And so I really think that, that we really, that's where we do a good job. Because for instance, let's say if, a, if, if you're mentoring somebody and you're close with a person and they, you developed a trust relationship with them and they, they fall off the way and, and they, you know, they, they, dis, they derail, um, they're going to listen to you because they have this trust relationship with you. And I think that would really go a long way to not having to bring a person before the church, so to speak, and where I think it can be dealt with. Now, Matthew 18 takes it a lot further uh, because, you know, the person disagrees and then you bring it up and you whatever. But I think, again, I think sometimes in the church, in my experience, people, we've, we've, we've really been good at saying you're wrong in this situation, but say if they came to Christ in the church and we really haven't done our part in mentoring and then and helping them, then you, you know what I mean? Then there, there's a part that we play in it as well. We have, I, I just, I, I'm really becoming more and more convinced that, uh, you know, as a church, we are, our main job is to, to build up the body of Christ to be light and salt in the world. And uh, unfortunately, and, and the idea that, in fact, I read that very quote um, today that we are not to be um, a museum of saints. We are, we are to be a hospital of sinners. And, and, and that idea that, that we're, we're helping, we're getting people bandaged up and getting them strong so that they can, they can be like Jesus in the context of their world. And um, I, 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 I just, you know, I, I agree with you. And I mean, I, I, I hope you're going to edit a lot of this out. I'm sure you will, because we're way over our time, I think. <laughs> right, aren't we? You no, know, we started over already. We're still within like the hour mark. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's uh, right. Are we within the hour? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyways, my, my whole thing is, I think that we, that like in, in a family, if somebody does something wrong, you know, family can go stronger by dealing with that person and helping them. But on the other side, if it's a child um, that is a teenager and is starting to bring harm to the family, um, you know, I've seen situations where they've, they've been asked to leave or, you know, have had been put in a different place to get help because they're beginning to damage the other children and hurt the other children, sometimes physically, depending on what their problem is. And uh, so I, I agree with you. And, and yet I'm saying we better make sure before we do that, you know, we have done our job of, of, of modeling before them and walking with them what it means to be a strong follower of Christ, not just teaching them, because I think that's where churches have gone on. Let's throw them in a class for 10 weeks and kind of like, you know, that machine that just after 10 weeks, they pop out and we have high expectations. I think, of them. I think that's the hardest part, though, right? Like, um, if, you know, whether it's your example, Randy, with the teenager who might hurt other kids or um, Keith and Ren's example about a brother who is stealing from the church, whether it's the members or um, in general, the I think the one thing is, is are we protecting them by not saying anything? And so nobody else knows. Mm -hmm. And so everyone else is potentially going to be harmed because we haven't said anything. Or when we say something to the greater <laughs> congregation, then now the congregation itself is biased towards the one person and not necessarily helping. And I don't know if that's one of the most difficult parts of making a decision because ideally, yes, like Ren would say, okay, let's say we warn everyone else that this person, like this brother or sister has stolen from people or whatever mm -hmm. and um, have, or has hurt other people. Um, we just want you to be aware of the situation but it's very difficult to then say, but also continue to love and mentor them, 
right? And but I think it's an opportunity to practice. Like how it's very easy to love people who aren't stealing yes. from you or aren't hurting mm-hmm. you. But if the congregation is made known of this fact and they have their responsibility, okay, let's say children. Okay, honestly, if they're hurting children, yes, that's like an easy answer. But I think it brings to like it brings to light our responsibility as members of the church to be strong in our own faith and um, to to let's say if they are stealing from us, like to practice what we preach and to practice what we say we believe in, in expressing that kind of like grace and mercy and love to that individual. Like, I think there's no better way to practice it than with someone in our congregation who is suffering from an incredible blind spot or an incredible, like, act of like stubbornness and he keeps trying to steal from you and you have to keep saying no (laughs) can you stop like that's a great way to practice like this relentless love I think well so I'm I'm of the boat that if someone's stealing from a bunch of people in our congregation that we should probably make it known um because otherwise right everybody's yeah, everybody's harm, harm. potential or potential or, yeah. harm right yeah um and so harm. i'm not yeah. i'm not, yeah i'm i'm still of that boat i think it's just more like if let's say one person went to randy and said this happened to me like you don't necessarily know that they've been stealing from everyone right i think it's or randy or church leadership or you know you or me ren or whatever like you if you don't know the extent you can't make that call because you can't just get up and grab a microphone and be like <laughs> hey i'm getting you know like that, that, that's, that's hey why I think sometimes the structure is helpful but um i think that's also why matthew 18 has like a step-by-step approach but that's why i was also curious when it ends up becoming church wide in a sense if you know what i mean well i I, somebody once said to me i think he was the first pastor i worked with that that the sin the the confession needs to be as public as the sin was interesting i've never heard that with yeah it's an interesting thought i I, you know and, and you can think of exceptions to every situation but yeah, I, I, you know, if a person, um, say a business deal went south in between two members in the congregation, which I've seen happen on a number of occasions, and one person uh, took advantage of another person, and it's between just the two of them, then the best you can do is work it out between the two of them. And if the one, if they both disagree, then maybe you can, you know, warn people about a person that, you know, hey, if you're looking for insurance, don't don't get involved with this person. Or if you're going to buy a house, don't go, you know, uh, or in, in investing yeah. in a business or whatever the case may be, that, that you have to warn people if, if you know that they're going to do that. But, you know, as, as we kind of talk about it, I think because, you know, a lot of what we're saying is like, well, it kind of depends on the situation and it, you could almost call it wishy-washy. <laughs> um, and I think... Or yeah, in need of discernment. I think, I think that's in why some cases. there are... Um, we, it, we do end up devel- developing Christendom, right? Because it's like, okay, well, last time when this happened, we did this. It went really far south. That was a really bad idea. Um, and so next time we should right. consider this and and then just as time goes on we forget why we had these rules or guidelines in the first place because we only remember the guidelines because they were written down but not what led up to the guidelines and how maybe poorly we responded um and so i think yeah i I think over time we talked we we talked about this a little bit but over time things kind of end up piling on and on and we forget to go back to the original why was it started in the first place which is probably more important than the guideline itself 
Yeah. So I think probably now we're reaching our end point for tonight. Um, but we have gone um, and covered a whole bunch of topics on structure today in the church um, and Christianity and genuine faith. Um, so I guess our ending question for our listeners um, is if there are aspects of Christendom that are a threat to genuine Christianity, how can we build up a church that both cares for its people in a genuine Jesus loving way and promotes genuine counter cultural cross bearing faith for members of the church or very simply put, how would Jesus build his church today? Um, so if you guys have any thoughts on what we discussed, feel free to comment um, on our Facebook or Instagram page. Um, once again, a lot of the uh, references made today were fr taken from a couple of these articles that we will link in the description for the podcast. Um, but yeah, thank you for joining us tonight. And um, I, we will say goodbye from Renee, Rat, Randy, Ashley. All right, we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Stop.